Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. If I'm going to go out and evangelize, I'm going to give somebody the New Testament. Because the best you're going to get at the Old Testament is you're going to get kind of left hanging on a cliff. You're going to get to the end of the Old Testament and you're going to go, okay, but now what? See, because the Old Testament, by its very nature, is incomplete. It's anticipatory. It's telling you about what's going to come. So the law and the prophets were all the preparation for the Messiah. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 13, in a message titled, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So here we are. We're back in our journey through Mark's gospel, and... There's a continuation here with the story. So we have a chapter break between eight and nine, but it probably didn't even need to be there because it's, it's really just a continuation of the things that have been said. So let me just remind you of the background, set the scene. Jesus was with his disciples. They had gone to the area of Caesarea Philippi. And, and Jesus asked the question to them, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, they, you know, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, speaking on behalf of all of them, he says, you're the Christ. You, you are the, the Messiah. You're the, the one that was prophesied. You're the long-awaited redeemer. And that was the right answer. That was absolutely the case. So Jesus affirms that he is indeed the Messiah. But then, as we saw, he goes on to correct their misunderstanding of the Messiah's mission. So in their mind, the Messiah meant the kingdom of God is going to be established. The Davidic throne is going to be set up in Jerusalem once again. And that was their understanding. So Jesus says, well, the mission is going to be different than what you imagine. Before the kingdom will come with power, the Son of Man, he himself, must first suffer, be rejected by the nation, be killed, and rise from the dead on the third day. But then Jesus told them in chapter 9, verse 1, he told them that there were some that were standing there who would not taste death till they saw the kingdom of God present with power. So Jesus is with the 12, and he's telling them that it's going to be a different idea than they had thought, but some of them standing there would actually see the kingdom of God come with power. Now, because of this, there have been those that have suggested that Jesus got this wrong. That Jesus, he thought the kingdom of God was going to come at that time. That's why he said that to them. But of course, those guys long since died and the kingdom hasn't come. So, so Jesus was mistaken. He was wrong. And if Jesus was wrong about this, he probably could be wrong about other things as well. That's the conclusion that some draw. And this isn't a conclusion that's only drawn by people outside the church. 
and people who are the open opponents of the Christian faith. But you know, there are some people in the church. Sometimes it's a pastor. Sometimes it's a, it's a theologian at a seminary who would say the same kinds of things. Well, Jesus, he, he didn't get everything right. Jesus was mistaken about some things. Jesus was a man of his culture and of his time. And, and there were certain things that Jesus didn't know. So what some people would suggest today is that, say, for instance, the, the morality that was the sexual morality, for example, that was supported by Jesus and proclaimed by Jesus, that really isn't relevant today. Uh, Jesus, he just didn't know. He, he was a child of his age, and, and so he thought certain things back then, but we know differently now. And so there are those who would challenge the authority of Jesus. And my point is, they would sometimes use a passage like this in order to do it. So here's the question. How do we respond to those kinds of challenges? Now, first of all, let's recognize that you know, for some people, it's not so much a challenge. For some people, it's just an honest question. And that's fine. We can ask honest questions. Well, was Jesus wrong here? I mean, he did say that that some of those that were standing there would see the kingdom of God in power. Did Jesus make a mistake? If, if we're just asking sincerely, then of course we want to respond and, and answer that. But, but even for those who are asking with the motive of trying to bring into question the authority of Jesus, the, the answer is the same either way. And there is a very simple way to respond to those kinds of questions or those kinds of challenges. And the answer to the question is really in the next few verses. You know, sometimes people will come up with this big, gigantic argument against some aspect of the faith. And they think that, okay, this now, this is the ultimate argument. We're going to prove once and for all that the Bible is wrong. And because this verse right here says this, and, you know, actually, you just say to him, well, if you just read the next verse, you would find that your argument isn't really as strong as you thought it was. And that, that's the case here. But before we look at what immediately follows the statement, let's look at another thing. Now, Jesus says to them, the 12 that are together, he says, some of you standing here, you're not going to die until the kingdom comes in power. Now, among that group was the Apostle John. And the Apostle John, if you remember, he was exiled to the island of Patmos, and it was there that he was given the revelation. We have it written down for us in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. What is the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation is the vision of God's kingdom coming in power. So right there, we can see that at least one of them, John, saw the kingdom coming in power because he had the vision that's spelled out for us in the book of Revelation. But probably the, the easier solution to the problem is just to read the next verses. And so verse two says, now after six days, 
Jesus took Peter, James, John. He led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. That's the answer right there. Some of you. Now, Jesus had taken these three, Peter, James, and John. He took them away with him. They were in Caesarea Philippi, which is at the base of Mount Hermon. And so they went up to an exceedingly high mountain. Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in the whole region. And that is the place where Jesus was transfigured. And what did they see? They saw the kingdom come in power. They saw Jesus not in his humbled state of just appearing like a man, but they saw his glory break through the veil of his flesh. And so they saw the kingdom come with power just a few days after Jesus had made that claim. So that's really the answer. No, Jesus didn't make a mistake. No, Jesus wasn't wrong. No, Jesus didn't think the kingdom was going to come at that time, and it really didn't come. Uh, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. And he knew that a few days later, he would go with them to that mountain and that would happen. And that is indeed what did happen. So, but here we have the story of what we call the transfiguration. And it says here in the passage that Jesus was transfigured before them. Now, the word transfigured comes from the Greek word that we get our English word metamorphosis. It's very similar in Greek and metamorphosis. It's kind, of just a, it's kind of just an anglicized version of the Greek word. But the word means to have a change of form. And so what happened before them is that Jesus had a change of form. And as it describes here, his clothing became as, as bright and white as snow And what was taking place, it wasn't just simply that his clothing was made bright, but the glory of God that resided in his being, it's like burst forth through his pores. It's like Charles Wesley put it like this, and we sing it in the Christmas hymn, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity. So that's what Jesus is. He's The Godhead, that's a word to describe the the totality of God. God as divine. Jesus is that, but veiled in flesh. And so here at this moment, it's like the veil is pulled back and they see him in his glory. They see him in his true state as deity, and notice that Elijah and Moses appear there with Jesus. And so this is an amazing moment for them. And as we read through the story, we see it it gets a little bit humorous because Peter, who the text tells us he didn't really know what to say, so he just said the first thing that came to his mind, wow, this is amazing. We should make three tents and we can just hang out here forever. That's a paraphrase, but that's pretty much what Peter said. And as as Peter is bursting out in all this excitement, the Lord from heaven speaks. And he says, this is my son. Listen to him. Now, we're going to come back to that 
um, for our main point here today. But before we do that, let's look at Moses and Elijah here. So Moses and Elijah, very interesting that it's Moses and Elijah. Think about all of the people that could have appeared there. Why not Abraham? I mean, after all, Abraham's the father of the nation, right? Seems like he would have been a good candidate to be here. Uh, what about David? David was the great king of Israel. He was the, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Why not Abraham and David? Why Moses and Elijah? Well, there's a few reasons, but first of all, when you think about these two, well, Elijah, he never even died. In 2 Kings chapter 2, we have the story of Elijah being taken in a whirlwind up into heaven in a flaming chariot. So Elijah never died. He never experienced death. He just was taken by God into God's presence in this extraordinary way. Moses, on the other hand, Moses dies but his death is it's, it's shrouded in all of this obscurity. God says to Moses, go up to this mountain and die there. And Moses did, Deuteronomy 34. And then it says this, and the Lord buried him. And no one knows to this day where the tomb of Moses is because the Lord buried him. So Elijah doesn't die. He goes to heaven via the flaming chariot. Moses dies, but he's mysteriously buried by the Lord himself. And now it's, it's these two men that appear there with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And in, I think, I think it's Matthew's gospel, it says something interesting there. It says, and they were discussing with him about his exodus. That's the word that's used. They were talking to Jesus about his exodus. Some of the English translations say his departure, but it's the word, the exodus. And so they're talking to Jesus about what he is going to do in the very near future. He is going to exodus this world. He's going to depart from this world and he's going to go back to the father. But one of the very interesting things about this is that there was a prophecy that was given by Malachi and that prophecy had to do with both Moses and Elijah. So the very last prophetic word that was spoken before there was a silence of 400 years, the very last prophetic word, we find it in Malachi chapter four, the last couple of verses. And let me read to you what it says. It says this. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. So, these are the last words, the last words of the prophets before this silent season of 400 years that was finally broken by John the Baptist. This had to do with both Moses and Elijah. And so here they are the ones that appear there with Jesus. Now, the reason why it's Moses and Elijah is that they represent 
the law and the prophets. So the law and the prophets, Jesus uses this terminology. He says the law and the prophets prophesied until such and such a time. So this was a way of talking about God's communication to the people previously. So you have Moses who represents the law. It's the law of God, but oftentimes it's referred to even by Jesus himself as the law of Moses. And then you have Elijah, who is a representative of the prophets. And so what's really being communicated here is that Moses and Elijah, they were God's messengers, or they represented God's message up until this point, but now a new day has come. And so it's no longer going to be Moses and Elijah, although they have an ongoing connection, but the message now is going to come through the son. So that's why the voice of the Lord says, you know, when Peter says, oh, let's, let's make three tents that we can all dwell here together, Mos- one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus, God says, no, this is my beloved son Listen to him, hear him. So now this is the, the primary voice through which God is going to speak now. It's through Jesus. The law and the prophets brought the people to a certain point, but then the law and the prophets were unable to move them any further. You know, I was with a friend, Dominic, the Hebrew professor at Southern Seminary, And he loves the Old Testament, as you can imagine. I mean, he's a Hebrew professor. And he studied for his PhD in Jerusalem. And he's fluent in Hebrew. And he just just loves the Old Testament. We were having a fun conversation the other night. It was about midnight after we had just finished our barbecue, uh, walking around the streets of Argentina. And so we got in this conversation. And it was a fun kind of, you know, a little bit of a debate, but not really. It was more just fun. But... He's so passionate about the Old Testament. He's like, you know, the the Old Testament, there's four words to every one word of the New Testament. And man, you know, people need to know the Old Testament. He's going on and on. I'm saying, yes, yes, this is is true. I, I don't dispute that at all. But remember, Paul said that if the the ministration, that's a way of referring to the law, the ministration of death, if that was glorious, how much more glorious is the new covenant? And he's like, yes, yes, you're right, Paul. Paul said that. And um, Raphael, who was kind of overhearing, he, he said to Dominic, he said, you know, if you're going to go out evangelizing, what are you, you going to take with you? You're going to take an Old Testament or are you going to take a New Testament? Well, of course, our Bibles have both in them. But in some cases, of course, a Jewish Bible is just the Old Testament. And we as Christians, sometimes we just have a New Testament that we might give out to someone. And the answer, of course, is if I'm going to go out and, and evangelize, I'm going to give somebody the New Testament. Because the best you're going to get at the Old Testament is you're going to get kind of left hanging on a cliff. You're going to get to the end of the Old Testament and you're going to go, okay, but now what? See, because the Old Testament, by its very nature, is incomplete. It's anticipatory. It's telling you about what's going to come. So the law and the prophets were all the preparation for the Messiah. They were the preparation for Jesus. And so that's why God is saying, that's why these two men are the two out of anybody else who might have been there because they represent the law and the prophets. And the Lord is saying, 
that now it's time to listen to my beloved son. Now, one other quick thing before we go into that point there that I want to emphasize. Moses and Elijah, along with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and every other person that has died in faith, guess what? They're all alive. You see, when, when, a, when somebody leaves this world, and, and of course we use the term death, and for us that means dead, they're gone. Well, they are gone from here, but they're not gone. They haven't gone out of existence. They continue to live. And Jesus made this clear with the Pharisees. You, you remember, or, or it was the Sadducees actually, who denied the resurrection. And Jesus pointed out to them that God was called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus said, he's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, for all live to him. And so, you know, for anyone here who maybe you've had a loved one that has moved on, know this, they're very much alive. They're alive and well. They're just in a different location. And just like the Lord brought Moses and Elijah at his pleasure to come and be there at that moment, so ultimately God's going to bring all of those back as Jesus comes and, and sets up the kingdom. They're all going to be part of that. But this word, this is where we want to focus today. Jesus, again, this is my beloved son. Listen to him, is what God said. Jesus is God's final word. And the author of the letter to the Hebrews made that clear. The author said this in the very first verse. He said, God, who in various times and different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So in the past, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. Now, his final word is through his son. Jesus is the message. He's the message, both his person and his work. That's the message that we have to bring to the world. And listen, as Christians today, we need to remember that that is our message. We're living in a time where everything is so convoluted. Everything is so confused. And if our message is convoluted or confused, then we're not going to help anybody. If we take our message, which is essentially Jesus, who he is and what he did, and that's what the whole New Testament is about. If we take that and we start mixing that with other things, be it politics or philosophy of whatever sort, if we start to mix it, it becomes diluted and it will lose its effect to some degree. We have to keep the message clear. The message is about Jesus. And as we bring that message to people, and as we keep it pure from all of the other things that can get in and, and kind of taint it, we will be more likely to impact their lives for the kingdom than we would if we get it all mixed up with other things.
Now let's join Pastor Brian as he shares about this month's resource from Back to Basics. Hi, Pastor Brian here. We are hearing so much in the culture today about transgender identities and so forth. And so the book that I want to recommend is going to help you think through that. The book is called Embodied Transgender Identities, The Church, and What the Bible Has to Say. The author is Preston Sprinkle. Preston has a PhD in New Testament theology, but he's really made this an area of deep, deep study and expertise, does an excellent job. This is something that we need to know how to navigate. So once again, the book Embodied by Preston Sprinkle, it will help you to know what the Bible says and how to navigate around the issues of transgenderism. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Embodied, Transgender Identities, The Church and What the Bible Has to Say by Preston Sprinkle. You can order the book Embodied by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Embodied by Preston Sprinkle to help you navigate the issues surrounding transgenderism. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.